Hey, Victory family, we are continuing our study through the book of Philippians. And in case you're just kind of tuning in now, what we're doing is we're taking the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi and breaking it down verse by verse. We talked about how the, the actual church in Philippi was a very diverse church, the way that, that Paul built it, and then he planted it, and then he left. And so when he writes this particular letter to them, he's actually in prison. And so the way that we kind of themed out this series is we saw it as Paul calling a family meeting with the church in Philippi, because it was the only letter, theologians say, where his focus wasn't correction, <clears throat> but more encouragement and empowerment. And so in a time like this, where obviously we're not gathering together and there's a lot going on right now in our culture, what a great time for us to have a family meeting, right? What a great time for us to say, hey, gather around and let's look at the words of the Apostle Paul and let's apply them to the season of life that we're in right now. And so we've looked at chapter one and we looked at chapter two. Hopefully you've watched those and you've used the prayer and reading plan. And now we're going to look at chapter three, okay? So we're going to pick up at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So Paul's saying, I I'm going to keep on doing this. I know, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's actually good for you for me to repeat myself, because maybe through repetition, you'll remember what I'm saying. So Paul says, I'm saying it again, but it's actually good for you. Then he says, watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And let me tell you real quick, he is talking generically about anybody who opposes the word of God, but he's also talking specifically in that moment about this group of Jews that whenever Paul would go and preach and teach somewhere, they would kind of follow up behind him and then they would preach a different message than Paul and they would confuse the believers. And so Paul would preach and, you know, his whole message was, you know, my faith alone in Christ, by Jesus only. It was, it was always trying to subtract us from the equation and focus on Jesus. So he would preach that and then leave. And then these Jews would come in, this group of Jews would come in, and their message was Jesus and other things. So it wasn't just Jesus. They, they were actually saying Jesus wasn't enough, that you needed Jesus and you needed certain actions, certain attitudes, and so on and so on. So Paul is saying, hey, watch out for them. And then he goes on to say, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So let me explain real quick what it means by we are the circumcision. <clears throat> This religious sector, they they actually would go around, check this out, the name of their posse was the circumcision of God. That, that was their name, right? Who, who wants that name? If somebody came, you know, you just gathered your boys together or your girls together and said, hey, we need to come up with a name for our clique. What happens when that when somebody raises their hand and says, can we be called the circumcision? Like, you know, awkward. And so that was their name, the circumcision, because their mindset was, you need to use us as a measuring stick for your faith. So they walked around being called the circumcision of God. So Paul, in, in reference to them, says, no, no, we are the circumcision. In other words, those who have faith in Christ alone. And then what's going to happen is Paul is going to go on and give us a, a few lessons in the rest of this chapter that I really want to bring to our attention, because he's trying to get us to understand that everything that we need, that our, our spiritual walk, our faith, all of these things need to be in Christ alone. It isn't about our performance and so on. And so Paul's trying to teach us what to expect when we start to follow 
Jesus Christ. And there's a couple of lessons that Paul gives us that I want to show us through these scriptures. And lesson one is this. The more I learn, the less I know. The more I learn, the less I know. When it comes to following Christ, the more I learn, the less I know. Watch this. Picking up again at verse four. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, the more that I gain knowledge in Christ, the less confidence I have in the things of this world. Right? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, the closer I get to Jesus, the more confidence I have in Jesus and the less confidence I put in the things around me. That the evildoers, right, this religious sector, what they were saying was, put some of your confidence in Jesus, but then put the rest of your confidence in other things, your performance, your knowledge, your reputation. You can have some of your confidence in Jesus, but not all of it. And Paul is totally going against that. He's saying, no, I'm putting all my confidence in one bucket, and it's Jesus Christ. And the more I do that, the less confidence, not only the less confidence I put in these things, but I'll tell you what, the less confidence I have in these things. So, so let me ask you this question. Where do you put your confidence? Think about that for a second. Where, where When it comes to your daily Christian walk, when it comes to the, the surprises of life, when it comes to financial or physical or, or whatever troubles and, pat and issues, where do you find yourself putting your confidence? I'll tell you this, and I, and I think we're going to see that Paul agrees with me. I think that there are three places that you and I, or, or let me say humans, normally put their confidence in before they put it in Christ. Okay? So number one is this. We tend to put our confidence into a plan or a process or a protocol, right? There, there's some American dream or or some belief or some expectation and that, that creates this plan or this protocol, this process and we put our confidence in that. For, for them and that culture in that day, the process would have been circumcision. And so that's what they do. They put their confidence in the fact that you're circumcised. If you're circumcised, you're a believer. If you're not, so on, so on, so on. Now for us, I think that the plan we tend to put our faith in or our confidence in are things like appearance and accolades, acceptance, right? There's all these plans and processes, religious plans and processes. And we put our confidence in that. And watch this, when that all of a sudden that plan doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go, right? Or the process all of a sudden doesn't work or the protocol we find out was pointless. Then all of a sudden we don't know what to do with our faith because our confidence was put into that plan. Our confidence was put into that process, right? Um, I'll tell you an example of this that I experienced. When I first started going to church in Memphis, I had zero church background. So many of our people at our church know Pastor Brian Hogwood led me to the Lord. And I just started going with him to church. I, I had zero religious background. I didn't know what you were supposed to wear to church. I didn't know what you were supposed to do in church. If somebody said turn to, you know, so, so book in the Bible, I didn't know how to find it. And so I just showed up as me. And I'll never forget one of the first couple of weeks that I went, I, I wore hats a lot. And so I remember this guy came up to me and he had, he had a big suit on and a tie. And he was so passionate about me taking off the hat 
in church. And I get it. Listen, I understand honoring God and respecting God. So if, 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 if your mindset is that we should wear our best to church, that's fine. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. But, but at that current moment, I didn't understand what was going on. So he's asking me to take the hat off. And, and of course I did, but I was angry about it. And it was so funny because in that moment, it, it made me kind of believe since again, I was, I lacked knowledge in this area that if I wore a suit and tie, then maybe I was holier than if I wore a hat. And it wasn't long after that, that it kind of came out that this man has some hidden sin in his life, right? So showing that it doesn't matter if you got a suit or tie on, it doesn't matter if you got a hat on, right? That's a process. If you want to wear a suit, wear a suit, get a, get a top hat and a cane, right? If you want to wear a hat and sandals, treat it like, you know, you're on the beach. It doesn't matter because that's a process or protocol. And we can't put our confidence in that. Our confidence must be in Christ alone. If we start putting our confidence in our plan, right, the, the closer we get to our plan, the further we are from God's plan. And I'm going to talk to you about that in a little bit. But we have to quit trying to put our confidence in the process or the plan or the protocol. Second thing I think we put our confidence in is other people, right? So we put our confidence in our friends. We put our confidence in our, in our you know, spouse or the person we're dating. We put our confidence in our family. And then more than more than most, we put our confidence in the, the religious people in our life, our religious leadership, our pastors, and so on. And there's a point where we start putting too much of our confidence in other people that we take our confidence out of being in Christ alone and put it in other people. And when we do that, the Bible even says this, we're at risk of being let down because people are not perfect. And if we're not careful, watch this, we'll put so much of our confidence in other people that we'll start to create an idol out of them. And they'll actually become, you know, our Jesus. Instead of Jesus being our Jesus, they actually become the, 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 the God that we follow. I'll give you an example. Uh, again, in Memphis, when Darla and I pastored, I watched a, a pastor in our staff have a moral failure and he ended up falling out of the church staff-wise and actually kind of ended up having a rocky relationship with Jesus ever, you know, ever since, as far as I know. And I watched 10, 15, probably 20 people fall away from God because of that. They, they quit going to church. They started acting unchristlike, and, and that blew my mind because it was showing you that all of their confidence was not put in Christ. Their confidence was not put in the word of God. Their confidence was put in the individual. And that's a problem when we do that. Paul says, do not put your confidence in the people around you. Don't put your confidence. Look, it's great to look up to somebody. It's great to give them honor and respect. It's great to want to be like them. But when that person becomes an idol, when that person becomes the God in your life, when you're not able to separate human being who makes mistakes versus the holy God who doesn't make a mistake, that's a problem. And that's when we put so much confidence in individuals that when they fail, notice I say when, because they will fail you. They're humans. And when they fail, our faith is, we don't know what to do with it because we've put all of our confidence in another person and not God. Third is this, and probably the most common, we put our confidence in ourselves, right? In, in what we can do, in our accomplishments, in our accolades, in the pride of who we are and how good we are. And we put too much confidence in who we are instead of putting the confidence in Christ, right? So here's what I think is really cool, is that Paul now addresses those three things. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, if, if that's what I was going to do, if I was going to put my confidence in a plan, other people, and, and in myself, I could do it. 
above anybody else I could do it. He says, if you want to put your confidence in a plan, like circumcision, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What he meant by that is the second the clinic was open, I was stand, I was like uh, getting a new iPhone. I was standing outside the door just waiting for the clinic to open to, to be circumcised. I got circumcised as soon as I could be circumcised. Paul said, if we're putting our confidence in a plan, I've mastered the plan. And then he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. That was his way of saying, I was on the 1995 Bulls. Like I rolled with the best of the best. If we're talking about, you know, spiritual leaders and if we're talking about mentors and we're talking about, you know, pastors and friends and, and, and church figures, I rolled with the best of the best. And then he says, and, and if you want to talk about my accolades, he said, not only did I have a zeal, in other words, I wasn't just all talk. I was all walk. And he said, when it comes to the law, I was faultless. This is his way of saying, like, I've, I've never yelled at my kids. I've never been late to church. I've never missed a Sunday school class. I memorized every verse in the Bible. I've never honked at anybody in traffic. I've never watched a rated R movie, right? This is Paul's way of saying, if we were talking about putting our confidence in anything but Jesus, I could do it. Paul's way of saying he's, he's got it better than all of us. He's saying, I, if anybody has reasoning to put their confidence in the things of this world, Paul says, I do. But then watch what Paul says. I hope, man, this is so powerful. Verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Watch this. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you compare to knowing Jesus, I consider all of these things trash. I consider them a loss. Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Watch this. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul says, look, the more I get to know Jesus, all of these accolades, the, the, the plan I had, the people I rolled with, the pride I had in myself, when I get to really know Jesus, all of those things in comparison are like garbage. They're like trash. The, the actual word he used there that got, that got uh, changed into trash is he, a word that they would use for dung, right? In other words, poop, okay, is what he was saying. So check this out. He's saying this is why people struggle following a Christian life because anything that we would find as pride, Paul says, consider it poop compared to knowing Jesus Christ. That's so awesome to me. Uh, probably about a year ago, both of my kids all of a sudden like inherited this obsession with poop. And 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 this is not going to get dirty. Just hang with me for a second. I think it was the popularity of the poop emoji, right? Remember the poop emoji? We're going to put up poop, poop emoji. And that that so I mean there was like poop emoji lights and and all and so I'll give you an example. This is something we got for them. A, a poop emoji pillow. So so when they would go to bed at night, they would lay their head on poop, right? This, 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 is, this, is, this, is, this became important. But I could not get this image out of my head when I hear Paul say, hey, when I consider my plan, when I consider the people I roll with, when I consider my accolades and my, my holiness and my goodness and all that, and I try to put confidence, the more I get to know Jesus, watch this, those things might as well be poop, right? Those things, they're poop compared to the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, so if I, so here's what I think Paul was ultimately saying. 
and this is such a powerful thought, if you're, if you're taking notes, write this down, that often in life, what is most important will seem least impressive. The second thing that Paul says, so, so the first thing he says is the more that I learn, the less that I know, right? The second thing is this, the closer I get, the further I feel, All right? So we're going to pick up in Philippians, again, chapter three, we're going to start with verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in point three. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do is forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, look, the, the closer I get to Jesus or the closer I get to what I think is God's plan, often the further I feel. Because Paul's talking about his goals, but often our goals, hashtag goals, are different than the hashtag goals of God. Let me put it this way. The closer we get to God's plan, often the further we feel from our plan. Let's just talk for a moment about 2020. Did anybody see this coming, right? right? Did, did, did anybody, I think it's been almost four months since we've gathered together in a building for church. I've, I've been preaching to a camera with just a couple of people in the room now for four months and I'm starting to lose my mind. Uh, you know, there, there's just all kinds of things that we didn't expect or see coming. And if we're not careful, we'll look at this and because it is far away from our plan, we'll start to think that it's far away from God's plan. And what's really happening is the closer we're getting to God's plan, it's just the further we're getting from our plan. I'll give you two examples of that. One, I was praying just a couple days ago and I was walking through what my expectations were for 2020. And I was like, God, I was expecting our church to have a big Easter and we'd be knocking on the door 400 by the summer. And then we'd go through a book of the Bible during the summer and we'd have some, some fellowship time together. And I would go spend some time in Memphis swimming with my in-laws. I'm just kind of processing what my expectations were. And then all of a sudden, I just felt the Spirit of God say, well, has that not happened? And I'm like, well... You know, we are working on some some hangout events and we have we are going to Memphis to swim and we've had more way more than 400 people tuning in. We're getting stories of people that are watching and wanting to you know come attend the church once we start back meeting. So I'm like, God, maybe maybe it is. Maybe it was the ultimate goal of what I was expecting, but it just didn't look like the way I thought it would look, right? So so again, all of this, if we're not careful, we'll say, well, it's not God's plan because it doesn't look like the way I planned, all right? Now, let me tell you the best way to totally push aside your plans, knowing that God's plan won't look like yours. You ready? Think about Jesus on the cross. The closer Jesus got to God's plan, the closer he got to the cross, and the further he got from the disciples' plan, right? If you would have asked the disciples, what's this going to look like? He was going to, they would have said, you know, Jesus is going to end up being the king and kind of putting all these people in place and we're going to rule and we're going to do miracles. And now he's on the cross and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're far off the plan, right? We, we, we've gotten, we've taken a detour. We are no longer moving toward the purpose of God. And Jesus would have climbed off the cross and said, yes, we are. We are exactly 
on schedule to God's plan. Sorry if it doesn't look like your plan. Come on, is that a word for 2020 or what? We are right on schedule for God's purpose in your life and in my life. Sorry that it doesn't look like the way you planned it. You know what? It's the same for us, though. I talk to people all the time that say, you know what? The, as soon as I start doing right, it seems like things start going wrong, right? Or, or as soon as I start tithing, you know, some, some financial issue will happen. Or, or as soon as I think I'm getting smarter, I find out I'm getting dumber. You know, there's always this, this conversation where somebody will say this, I really thought I'd be here, but instead I'm here. And again, what happens is, and I've done this all the time, but what happens is we put together this plan where we think that once we do this, this will be the result. And so we begin to picture ourselves getting here and we attach God's purpose and God's plan for our life to the plan we designed. And if things are not going the way we designed, we automatically assume that God's not involved either. But listen, this is why we wake up and rejoice in the Lord for today is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because I have to trust that this is God's purpose regardless of how I think, right? I'm, I'm even learning that the better I get at something, the, the more I realize how much I have to work at it, right? So, so I'll give you an example of this. This was a pretty funny story for me. One day we're at home and Veda wants to play Wii. And she, she's in this mode right now. She wanted to play Wii. It was going to be fun. She wanted to play. I'm going to play. I'm going to play. And she wanted to play this game that I had never played, but she had played. So she was pretty good at it. She's excited about it. She wants, she's going to have fun, so on, so on, so on. And she, she starts to play and I was better at it than her. So I start to beat her and she starts saying, she starts like quitting. She starts giving up and not trying hard. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, there's no way I'm going to win anyway. She's like, well, I'm just going to give up because I can't win anyway. And I'm like, well, first of all, of course you can. The game's not over. So you could get better and win. And she goes, well, it's not even fun anymore. And I was like, okay. So number one, you don't think you can beat me. So automatically, it's not fun anymore. Now that you can't win, it's not fun anymore. And the Holy Spirit dropped this illustration in my mind that I could not forget about. For some reason, as Christians, we tend to find people that we think are less than us, right? That they're not as spiritual, not as knowledgeable, not as good. And we want to compare ourselves to them so that we will feel better about ourselves. This is exactly the spirit and attitude that Paul is saying, don't do this. Because what would happen is that that religious sector, they would come in and say, hey, use us as a measuring tool. We are good. And if you want to be good, you have to compare yourself to us. And they had memorized all these scriptures and they had spent hours and hours with different spiritual you know, leaders and mentors. And they knew that the people that they were getting around could never compared to them. But they did that on purpose. And, and there's just something in us as humans where we look to somebody who's weaker. We look to somebody who has less and we compare ourselves to them so that we will feel better about ourselves. And I told Veda this, I said, listen, the problem is this, you have all of a sudden started playing somebody who's better than you. And now it's not fun anymore, right? So, so this is why, again, we struggle with Christianity, because the only person we should be comparing ourselves to is Jesus. It's the only person. We should never compare ourselves to other people. The only person we should compare ourselves is to Jesus. But watch this. Here's the trick. Here's the paradox of, of progression. You ready? 
When I compare myself to Jesus, the only thing it does is make me realize how much more I need him, right? I don't compare myself to Jesus and go, oh, I'm better than Jesus. No, it's the paradox of progression. We think we should be moving forward, but when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we get to see ourselves and go, wow, I need Jesus so much more. So I gotta gotta share this illustration with you. The Lord dropped this illustration in my heart, and I really wanted to do it in person when we were meeting as a church, but I just, as I was reading this, God said, nope, it's now, it's for right now. So here's what I wanted to do. As you walked into the building, I wanted to hand everybody a rag, a dirty rag, and I wanted them to look different. And so, you know, some would be dirtier than others, and some would have a couple of stains, and some would be stained all over. And so as you walked in the building, you got your own rag. And they would look like this, and so I really was hoping that you'd be like, are we going to clean the church? What, what was Pastor Troy doing? And so I wanted you to sit down and, and worship and go through service. And then I wanted to start talking about the rag you had and how the rag represented your spiritual life, right? And so the stains on your rag would represent the mistakes we've made, the, the, the shortcomings. And I wanted to talk about how for some reason our temptation is to compare rags, right? Don't we want to do that? We want to, well, hey, let me see your rag. Let me see, let me see if your rag's dirtier than my rag or if my rag's cleaner than yours. And then what we don't want to do is we don't really want to hang out a long time with people who have rags that are more clean than ours, right? We want to go find the people who have really dirty rags and be able to go, well, you know, compared to your rag, my rag's pretty clean. Right? And, and that, that, was, that was the illustration I wanted to talk about and, and how regardless of what we've done, the rag is still dirty. And then I wanted to talk about a rag that represented Jesus. And again, we can go and compare our rags to other people's rags and try to say, well, is your rag dirtier than mine? That was never the message of the gospel. The gospel was never about comparing rags. It was never about you being able to establish that you're better than somebody because you memorized a verse or because you did felt boards in Sunday school. It was never our ability to compare ourselves to other people because we're all sinners. Paul says in Romans, for we have all fallen short and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So where the comparison should happen is the comparison shouldn't happen to other people's rags. Watch this. The comparison should happen to the rag that represents Jesus Christ. And then I wanted to read a verse to you. Isaiah 64 verse 6. Watch this. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us have become like one who is unclean. Watch this. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags in comparison to what? Jesus. Paul's saying, listen, if you continue to try to put confidence in who you are, you're going to have difficulties. The only way that you can ever put confidence in who you are is try to find somebody who you think is less than you and therefore develop pride based off of that. And Paul says, that's not the gospel. Paul says, quit putting confidence in your good deeds, quit putting confidence in your accolades and in your knowledge and in your appearance and understand that compared to Jesus, you're just a filthy rag. All right, so let's recap. First, Paul says, the more that I learn, the less I know. Second, he says, the closer I get, the further I feel. And then third is this, to really live means to continually die, right? So again, follow along. We'll pick up at verse 15 and we'll finish out the chapter. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, 
that too God will make clear to you. In other words, Paul's saying, you need to believe what I believe, and if you don't believe it, then God will change your mind. It's great. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Again, Paul's talking about being able to live like Christ, being able to live in the resurrection and the death of Christ. Paul is saying, I want to live like Christ died. Well, what does that mean? Is Paul saying that he wants to climb up on a cross and be crucified and then go into a grave and then three days later resurrect and then, you know, so on and so on? No, that's not what he's saying. He doesn't want to, he's not saying I need to actually die like Christ and resurrect. What he's saying is I want to live like Christ died. Let me explain it like this. Christ dies and then he resurrects, right? So he he takes sin, dies with sin, resurrects with grace, right? My stains that were once red as scarlet are now white as snow. That, that's the illustration. So here's what Paul's ultimately saying. You ready? Paul's saying, I want my life to be a series of small deaths and resurrections. Okay, okay. Let me break it down a little bit more. Remember what I said? To really live means to continually die. In other words, on a daily basis, I want the things that are of me to die and the things that are of Christ to be resurrected. There was a movie I watched ugh, a couple years ago, and the movie was called Happy Death Day. And the idea was this girl, she, she, she died. It was kind of like a scary movie, but it wasn't scary. She died and then she would wake up and relive the day, kind of like a new version of Groundhog Day, right? So, so she would die and she would relive the day until she could find her killer. So she would die, wake up, and it'd be new. Die, and she could learn from that and be different. And they called it Happy Death Day. And when I'm reading this, I started having that thought in my mind that what Paul is saying is that every day should be Happy Death Day. Every day should be this. Watch. What in me needs to die and what in Christ needs to resurrect, right? Could you imagine if we started living like this? If we woke up every day and started saying, what, what in me? What is there about my attitude? What is there about, you know, my, my, my process or, or what I'm doing on a daily basis? What is it about my, my spirit and my mind, my, my perspective and my mindset? What is it in me that could die today? And what is it in Christ that could resurrect? Next week, we're going to look at chapter 4. And there's all kinds of, uh, some, some of the most famous verses that Paul spoke are in chapter 4. But again, you're going to see the pattern of this idea that there are things in us that need to die so that Christ in us can be resurrected. It, it, let's go back to the very beginning when Paul's writing this letter, or at least where we started in chapter 3. And he's saying, hey, there's this attitude coming through that you should put confidence in Christ, but you should also put confidence in who you are. You should put confidence in, you know, your accolades and your appearance. And Paul is saying, hey, look, when it comes to you and me, here's what you and me should do. We should find the areas of our life that are not Christ-like, and we should kill them. We should allow them to die. And then we should ask the Spirit of God to resurrect attributes of Jesus in their place. 
That, that was so powerful to me that for me to really live, I have to continually die, right? For, for me to be a great husband, there are, there are things about me that have to continual, continually die. For me to be a great parent, for me to be a great friend, there are sinful things about me that need to continually die. So again, if in week one, we kind of sum that up by saying in this family meeting, one of the values that we have to be reminded of is that we're going to value others above ourselves. And then last week with chapter two, we said that we're going to make every effort until we find the last piece and we can become whole. And so now chapter three, you ready? Chapter three is this, let's make every day, let's make our mission every day. God, what in me needs to die and what can you resurrect? And they're powerful. So good for me. I, I, I needed to be set free from this expectation of, of putting confidence in myself and an expectation of putting confidence in other people. And of course, in my plan and just getting to the place where I put 100% of my confidence in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for your word. It's so alive. Thank you for these rich words that Paul is giving us. And I pray that right there, that that would be our mission, that starting tomorrow, we would wake up and say, God, what in me needs to die? And then what in you can be resurrected in me? What, what mindsets or what attitudes do I need to crucify so that the Spirit of God can be resurrected. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the way he pastored the church in Philippine. Thank you for the way that his words pastor us today. And that instead of putting confidence in other people or confidence in, in a plan or a process and certainly confidence in ourselves and our abilities and our goodness, we put 100% of our confidence in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.